All right, to the phone lines, and Shirley is first. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning. How Good morning. are you this morning? Oh, it's just a wonderful day. Looking forward to getting out into it in a couple of hours. Oh, Gosh, I tell you, the wildflowers are just absolutely gorgeous. The rain did did good by us. Are you down south, or what direction are you? Uh, I'm down south. Yep. I'm about 10 miles out of Cuero. That's everybody tells me that the area between San Antonio and the coast are the most beautiful wildflowers in the area this uh, year. They are. The blue bonnets are just gorgeous, and the yellows, and, and then there are the Martins swirling all around. It's just it's the gorgeous time of year. Welcome to Texas. Yes. I have a question about wisteria. Can you root wisteria from a cutting? You can. Uh, Fall is a better time than spring. And I wish more people who have wisterias that bloom would do so because it's getting darn hard to find a wisteria that does well here. I know the box stores in some places sell Chinese wisteria, which is the really pretty one, but they're all from up north. And in our mild climate, they only bloom one year out of ten. The Texas wisteria, which looks exactly the same, blooms beautifully every year, and it is darn hard to find in the nursery industry. Industry. So if you know of a wisteria that grows and blooms well, I'd love for you to take a bunch of cuttings and share with all your friends. But unfortunately, uh, the new growth on them this time of year is so tender, it just won't root. Best time to root those cuttings is going to be October, November. Okay, do you do it like you get cuttings from rose bushes? Absolutely, exactly the same. And for the benefit of our other listeners, too, you may be hearing about a different plant called evergreen wisteria. That is not a wisteria at all. does beautifully in Houston, has to have really good soil to do well here. That's a whole different plant. It's not going to bloom till summer. Uh, you could probably root it in the spring, but the wisteria that I think Shirley and I are talking about is the uh, beautiful uh, light lavender purple flowers, and just they bloom before the leaves come out, and a wonderful scent. I love wisteria, and I just I wish we had a better source of more of it. Well, we have a plant, and it's it's very old, and Harvey took out a lot of our trees. Right. And one stump that uh, was left because the tree was three over 300 years old, Wow! Uh, I want to put wisteria over that. I thought, think that would be a good thing. I think it would be a beautiful thing to do. Plant a couple of plants and just let them grow up and cover the whole area over it. Um, right. You know, wisteria, with a little help from your pruning shears, wisteria can be turned into a tree form instead of just a vine. So you've got lots of potential for things you can do with it. Okay, when is the best time to prune it? Soon as it finishes flowering in the spring. Okay, now I remember years back uh, we got the information that if you prune the roots, you know, take a sharpshooter and prune the roots, that it will uh, bloom better. I don't think that's true. I think if you okay. give it good fertilizing and plenty of water, um, root pruning, I, I've never seen it significantly improve it. And a good healthy wisteria, I don't think it needs any help. I think it'll bloom beautifully for you virtually every year. Now, that may be true on these northern varieties that uh, don't bloom well because they don't get enough cold. But good old Texas wisteria, you just water it, fertilize it, and enjoy it. Okay, I have another question. Okay. When you plant a plant, you take it out of the pot, say uh-huh. like a tree that you're planting, yep. and the roots are circling around, 
do you try to separate those roots a little bit or just plant it as is? Well, I never plant it as is. Uh, if it's during the cool season, I will sometimes separate it and not really worry, you know, if a lot of the soil falls away from it. If I'm planting it during the hot season, I'm going to take my pruning shears and cut down one side of the root ball and sever every one of those roots that are circling. You know, years ago, and I, I've been in the nursery business <laughs> A long time but we used to grow uh trees and other things in relatively straight up metal cans and we use something called a can cutter um and we just you we just split the top of the can and then push down with this thing and it just ripped the side of the can open the little blade that it had on it would frequently or would usually rip down the roots along that side of the root ball and we planted very successfully now that everything is being grown in plastic pots uh, i think it's very important uh, what i do is turn the tree over on its side i'll gently slide that uh, plastic pot off of it and then i'll take my heavy duty pruning shears and just prune all the way down one side of the root ball. It's especially important if you have a big tree in a small container, and I just shudder when I see some of the box stores around that are selling a tree that's 10 feet tall in a five-gallon container and telling people what a good value they're getting. They're getting a very poor value, and uh, things like that, especially if you don't split the root system down one side, you're going to have some real heartbreak five years down the road. Well... We had a nursery plant a couple of Monterey oaks, mm -hmm. and I was observing how they planted it, and I suggested to him that maybe he needed to do something with those roots, and he said, oh, no, no, we don't. Well. So I started <laughs> quoting Bob Webster's to him on a lot of things. <laughs> and well, and as I, I always him, say, you need all you need is a pickup truck and a plastic sign, and voila, you are a landscaper. <laughs> but, I, quote, I told him you need to listen to Bob Webster on Sunday morning. Now, for a really troublesome question. Okay. In this area where we live, we have a lot of the wild onions, mm -hmm. you know, that, that flower. Right. They call it crow poison. It's another name for it. Yeah. There is, doesn't seem to be anything that will kill those. Well, I talked to the Extension Service, the Soil Conservation, every, and they even came and did a little test plot, mm -hmm. and they just still grow beautifully. And we can't have Hereford cows out here because they get what's called photosynthesis from them. I've not heard of that. I've not had any problem with my cattle and. Uh, you know, I, my my comment in general would be uh, the blue bonnets just had a better press agent than the uh, crow poison did. Um, I, I would tell you that you know I I would just other than shred them off at ground level. I suspect I, we'd have to try this to see, but I think that probably a fairly heavy molasses treatment might very well cause them to rot out just as the nut sedge does. But um, I'm, I, I was not aware that it caused any problem with cattle. I've not seen that on my own cows, but I don't have a, a real thick sand of them. Uh, yes, I have Herefords. Herefords and Longhorns are the main thing I have. And uh, I love that Longhorn blood in them because it sure does make a tougher cow. But uh, uh, let me ask Dr. Kirby about that and see if he is aware of anything like that or has any suggestions. Turning my log over to uh, 
the 11 o'clock hour. I'm putting down wild onions. I know that, uh, you know, that onions per se can be bad for, you know, our domestic animals, but I'd, I'd not heard of that on a cow. So let me see what I can find a little research on that one for you. Okay. Well, I thank you very much for your information. It's always a pleasure, Shirley. Appreciate the call, and uh, we will talk again. Let me see. Next up is going to be, it's going to be Sandy, Don, and then Pete, and Sandy's next. Good morning, Sandy. Hi. Um, uh, instead of blowing the, the oak leaves uh, last weekend, I also have a blower that works as a vacuum, which shreds the leaves. Mm-hmm. And I thought, great compost. And so I put it on some of my beds, and I found that uh, this weekend when I was looking at them, I had a uh, chili patin mm-hmm. bush coming and Venka, and even my espasote had all yellowed from the leaves. I, yeah, I don't. That? Don't think it has anything to do with the leaves. I think it, you know, is more weather-related. Uh, your okay. vinca, it's awfully early to be thinking about putting out vinca. I would, I would these, sure. These were from last year. Oh, okay. And okay. they were not harmed a bit. Very good. Uh, you know, have you been fertilizing? When's the last time you fertilized? No, no I have. These are because I was concerned. Do I use the organic fertilizer also in the vegetable? Absolutely. In the uh, espisote and the chili piquin? Absolutely. And onions? Yes. I can use Okay. And you have your choice. Organic. You you can either use a dry organic or you can use the liquid. And it might be fish emulsion. It might be, uh, you know, one of the Espoma products. I use Medina's, uh, uh, what they call a uh, plant, a uh, has to grow plant. And uh, that works very well. Don't think it really had anything to do with the oak leaves. Oak leaves, my only objection to live oak leaves is they are a little slower to break down, but they make a very good mulch. Uh, The one thing now, sometimes it's a little hard at first for the water to get through. So some of that yellowing may be that you're not watering quite thoroughly enough because we sure haven't had any rain in the past couple of months to amount to anything. So I'd, I'd fertilize, I'd water a little more thoroughly. And I think you'll have, you know, very vigorous new foliage. Things that are yellow at this time of year, lots of times it's the older leaves and they're not going to, they're not going to change, but watch the new growth. If the new growth comes out with good color, then you're in great shape. Okay. And, uh, let's see, uh, oh shoot, this always happens. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's why you need to write it down but uh if you think of it call me back okay will do oh oh i know pentas have you gotten any pentas in uh starting to get the red the growers have beautiful plants but we've had so little sunlight uh that the pentas are just slow to start blooming this year it's uh um i think probably about three weeks you're going to start seeing a lot of good pentas but the selections are very limited right now Okay, great. Thank you so much. You're sure welcome. Thank you, Sandy. All right, right back to gardening. Uh, Let's see. Don, Pete, Peggy, and Rebecca. And Don's up first. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Bob. I was wondering, rock phosphorus, where is that available at in a 50-pound bag? Um, you're probably, your, your feed store may have it. Any nursery can order it for you. Now you'll probably be getting the granular rather than that really powdered form, but it still works just the same. But, uh, 
Uh, you tell any feed store or any nursery in that area, tell them to call Adam's Supply, and they'll have it for you in 50-pound bags. Um, it's just a storage issue. I know a lot of people don't stock it in such big bags, but it's certainly available, and you know you can usually get it pretty quickly. Do you think Fred has it in stock, or you have to order it? <laughs> You're going to have to call Fred and ask him. I wouldn't be surprised if he has it in stock, because, you know, what a big place. Uh, we're talking about Morales Feet, of course, for our other listeners. Uh, I would suspect he has it. If not, I know he will get it for you, Don. Yeah. What time frame are we looking at planting peppers this year? Oh, man, I think you can plant your sweet peppers now. I'm going to wait probably about two, three weeks on my hot peppers, just watching the weather. You know, this is a real strange year, and my meteorologist friend tells me we're probably okay, but there's still some cold air bottled up up north, and nobody's real sure where it will go when it breaks out. So far, it's mostly been sliding off to the east, but uh, this is a very unusual year, and I'm probably going to wait. I'm, I'm probably going to wait at least three weeks on planting my okra, and probably two to three weeks on planting my hot peppers. But I think your bells and sweet bananas could go in today. Yeah, because right now the high fence is built, the well is getting ready to be, the submerged <laughs> is getting ready to go in, and I have probably 600 tomato plants and about. 800 pepper plants oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) it's going to be a real truck farm down at your place and i'll bet it's going to be beautiful and and your family's going to eat well and have a lot more uh call me whenever i can help all righty sir thank you very much always a pleasure don thank you pete's up next good morning pete morning morning sir i got a I got a question about uh, I need to uh, order some seed. Okay. What's that seed company you always advertise about? What what kind of seed are you ordering? Vegetable or what kind? Uh, yeah, the uh, uh, New Zealand spinach. Okay. Um, probably Baker Creek Seeds. Uh, they've got a great selection of seed, and most all of it's organic, and plus a real good business or good people to do business with. So check out Baker Creek Seed. If that's the only seed you need, there is also a place here in San Antonio called David's Garden Seed. Uh, he has like a thousand varieties of seed, relatively small seed packets. If you need big quantities, I definitely go with Baker Creek seed. But if you just need, you know, a handful of seed, uh, David's Garden Seed is a great source right here in San Antonio. They actually have a physical brick and mortar location over on the uh, northwest side of town, but uh, they ship oh, they ship thousands of packages of seed. I think they ship through Amazon. You'll find them on the uh, internet at David's Garden Seed, and they're also real good people to do business with. Uh, you have a phone number for? I don't. I don't bring anything in to speak of into the studio with me. So, and I I can't remember all the phone numbers out there, but uh, I, I'm sure you can find it without too much problem. Okie dokie. Appreciate it. My pleasure. I appreciate the call this morning. Uh, let's see here. Peggy's going to be up next. Good morning, Peggy. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. I love you. I'm a first time caller. Well, thanks for calling. Well, thank you. I have uh, two questions and a couple of comments. Okay. First question is how to get rid of mesquite in terms of that has been bulldozed already mm-hmm. and piled up. The largest is a very large pile. The largest is probably eight inch on diameter. Okay. I'm trying to decide whether to burn it 
or to try to put something on it to help it rot. Uh, you might as well burn it. Uh, that wood, that wood will, um, it'll sit there forever uh, before it rots. Mesquite's a very hard wood, very durable wood. That's why they make beautiful flooring and other things out of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> maybe you ought to put out an ad that says uh, free mesquite firewood, but you have to take it all. <laughs> but uh, no, if I, <laughs> you can leave it piled. I mean, uh, there might be some wildlife might appreciate having it piled, but uh, no way you're going to get it to break down quickly. If it's something you need to get rid of, uh, pick a safe day to do so and burn it and, you know, have your stakes out to throw over the coals. Yes. <laughs> okay. I appreciate that. Um, the next question is, uh, are you familiar with straw bale gardening? Uh, yes. Okay. What would you recommend? Cause they, you need to condition it for 10 to 12 days to get it to start decomposing before you plant in it. And you use like water plus, um, to saturate it, plus um, a high nitrogen, something that's really got some good nitrogen source, and then and then a, a, a common fertilizer. So going the organic method, what would be something with a, with a large amount of nitrogen to help it to break down? You know, the nitrogen is not nearly as important as the sugar. Um, if I were trying to do something like that, I'd use molasses. I'd use blackstrap molasses. It, straw bale gardening is a gimmick. Um, you know, maybe it's fun to do if you, you know, or just have a very limited area and if you want to try something different. But you're going to grow a heck of a lot more material from just good garden soil than you're going to. You know, the straw bale gardening, the keyhole gardening, there's so many of these, you know, different things, lasagna gardening. And they're they're cute ideas, and you can certainly grow things that way. But my experience is they're ten times more work. And I don't think you get any more produce from them. So if you want to do it now, remember, there's a difference in straw and hay. And so yeah. much of our hay is picloram contaminated. So you're going to have to be real certain that you get a straw that has not been sprayed with any kind of herbicide because picloram is so persistent, it'll kill everything you try to grow in it. And yeah. um, in in place of the high nitrogen, which really doesn't do that much to break down, uh, I just use liquid molasses, and I think you'll get just as good an effect. And uh, then your good organic fertilizer, but uh, you're going to spend a lot more hours uh, to get five pounds of tomatoes or whatever you're going to plant than I'm going to spend just growing in good garden soil. So if you want to give it a try, fine, fun thing to do. But the production's never going to keep up with what you can do. It's just good garden soil. Okay. Uh, the other thing, just a couple of comments. Um, it's been some time ago, but someone had called in about Ilex vomitoria, right. the native yopon. Yeah. You had, if I recall correctly, you made a comment that there's toxicity in the something in the plant, either the leaves or the berries, and both, and it calls purging. Actually, yeah. that is incorrect. It is actually, there are three species of ilex that have been used around the world for making tea, mm-hmm. a highly caffeinated tea. Mm-hmm. One, is yerba, one is yerba mate that yep. comes from South America. Right. I think it's peregrine, ilex peregrinus. Mm-hmm. 
It's yeah, a tropical anyway. form. Yeah. Yes. The one that is native to Texas, as well as the whole southwest, I mean, southeastern coast of the U.S. from Texas all the way up to North Carolina, is the Ilex vomitoria. That is actually a long time ago, and there's records out there. A&M has information, research on it and other places that it can actually be harvested, the leaves, and roasted to make a caffeinated tea. There's a company called Cat Springs Geopon out of Cat Springs, which mm-hmm. is out by Brenham Bellevue, who has been doing this for probably eight years. Mm-hmm. And is marketing it, marketing it not only in Texas, but outside of Texas. Interesting. So the leaves, the leaves are harvested, can be harvested and roasted. When you roast it, you get a more concentrated uh, caffeine, but it's highly caffeinated. It's one of, it was used a long time ago by the Native Americans. Uh-huh. It was traded even in the, the tea trades and traded among the natives and other people. There are burial sites up in, um, I want to say Missouri, that they have found the clay pottery. Uh, originally, they thought it was cocoa that was in there, but that's been DNA tested and it's actually. Um, the Yopon tea residue. Well, and I think there are probably some changes that take place when it is dried. I know the fresh leaves are upsetting to the tummy, and that's one reason that the deer don't eat it. Um, it is probably one of our most deer-proof plants, and, of course, it's one of several uh, Ilex deciduous, the other you know, common native one. All right, let's get back to gardening. It's going to be Rebecca and Leslie and Bill and Dan. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you this morning? I'm doing great, and I always like to identify myself as one of your reformed overwaterers. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a three step program. I think you're progressing pretty well. Well, it took me a couple of years, but I finally got it. Very good. Uh, my question this year is: uh, we had such a problem last year with squash beetles that I was not even going to grow squash this year, mm-hmm. and of course, I couldn't hold to that and i've got squash plants and i'm just wondering what you recommend to help us prevent or or make sure that doesn't happen again they were just all over went over to the melons it was a mess well you know squash bugs are a nuisance and i try to just early in the season i just pick and eliminate uh as much as possible some people use a little uh you know, container of soapy water. I, if I'm wearing gloves, I just use the thumb and forefinger method. Uh, the spinosad will work pretty well to stop them, uh, especially the little, you know, the little gray immature ones that tend to get all over everything. Spinosad kills them just almost instantly. Uh, the big bugaboo that is the hard thing to stop are the squash vine borers, and I still inject the stems with BT. I'm using more of the pheromone traps. A friend sent me a type of pheromone trap that he had been using successfully. So for the vine borers, I think pheromone traps may be a good thing to look at this year but those uh the squash bugs which are totally different than the vine borers i find spinosads a very con- good control on those and of course it's totally safe for people and pets okay i read something about nasturtiums tend to repel them does it do any good to plant a couple of those around well nasturtiums die out when the weather gets hot 
And oh, that's okay. when our, you know, I love nasturtiums. Uh, we had lunch down at the Botanical Garden Friday, and my gosh, they've got gorgeous nasturtiums down there on the patio of their little restaurant down there. But uh, unfortunately, nasturtiums go away from the heat about the time the squash really comes into good production. Okay. That's something those northerners can do, but uh, we we good southern people have a little bit different gardening season. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate your help, and we're going to give it a try again. So You let me know how you do with it and call anytime I can help, Rebecca. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Uh, Bill is up next, and then it'll be Dan and Leslie. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Bob. How can, can I? Can you hear me? I hear you just fine, sir. Okay. Well, the reason is I'm on the road and, you know, using the radio time. Uh the only thing I'm afraid of, you know, on February the 28th, it thundered pretty good at our house. Mm-hmm. And the old farmers say there's a frost in April when it thunders in February. Well, the uh, real question is... Yeah, my, my old timer said thunder in January, and I got thunder twice in January, so I'm with you. So well, what was that real question? Well, if it does, I, I'm on, you know, you said you could plant peppers and stuff, but, you know... I may plant a couple of tomato plants, and if it does freeze, then, you know, I didn't lose my crop. But my question is, on my peach and plum trees, if they set the small fruit and you get a frost, is that going to kill it? It depends on how long it stays cold. A frost, probably not going to have any effect. A prolonged period of weather below about 28 degrees could be devastating i think while it is still certainly possible we could get a frost or a light freeze i doubt very much that we're going to get any prolonged cold so if your plums and peaches and all have made it this far uh, i doubt there's going to be any problem if you want to increase the cold hardiness of things get out and spray with liquid seaweed liquid spray seaweed has been determined to have like I don't know, 65 different beneficial compounds in it. And liquid seaweed tends to cause plants to form a much higher level of sugar in the sap. That sugar is a natural antifreeze. And uh, we find that you can increase the cold hardiness of plants between 5 and 10 degrees spraying regularly with liquid seaweed. So especially on a tender plant like a pepper or tomato, I think it's a real good idea if we do get weather where frost is predicted, I'm probably going to cover things, but I'm not going to worry about the fruit trees because it would have to get cold enough to actually freeze that little developing embryo inside of the fruit. And while it's still possible we could get a frost, I think it's highly unlikely, never say never about Texas weather, but I think it's highly unlikely that we're going to get that cold for that long. I'm a lot more worried about hailstones and a little bit more violent weather situations as we move a little bit later into spring. I, I think the fruit tree, peach and plum growers should have gotten this far um I pretty much have it made now one thing i will warn you about peaches and plums uh, a lot of uh a lot of times you can have enough cold weather early on to freeze that little developing embryo the trees still go ahead and it looks like they set fruit those little peaches and plums get up to about marble size and then chemically that plant somehow senses that there is not a developing seed and all the fruit falls off 
So um, going forward, I'm not real worried that, you know, more cold would cause us real problems. But uh, I'm afraid a lot of people that have fruit set on their trees are going to be disappointed because uh, the people that, you know, got that oh, prolonged freezing weather, what's it been, 10, 14 days ago, um, we're, we still may see some damage from that that just hasn't shown up yet. But uh, if uh, I, I just doubt very much we're going to have significant enough cold to uh, harm the stone fruits from this point on out. Yeah, I knew about they were already said that uh, they would kill them earlier. I yeah. didn't bloom, so I was. I'm afraid your your phone's breaking up on you there, Bill. Say that one more time. I'm afraid Bill's gotten too into a dead zone for his cell phone. Um, we'll talk again, but uh, again, you want to do something to protect your tomatoes, your your uh, soft things like that. Again, liquid seaweed's probably going to be the best thing uh, that you can use. But um, again, I'm if if your if your peaches, your plums, if your citrus has made it this far. Pretty unlikely we're going to get enough uh, cold weather to really cause any serious damage there. All right. Well, that was a fairly short break. Uh, Cream, we probably have time for one more caller in there. So uh, there we go. <laughs> and uh, okay. And uh, so we'll talk to Dan and Leslie and whoever just rang that phone line. Uh, we start with Dan. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Bob. So you got three quickies here. Um, okay. I'm looking for, uh, I think it's called a garden weasel weed popper, like the old style, like two, mm-hmm. three or four prongs, and you kind of stick it in with your foot and pops up, you know, to bend over right. the weed. Do you have a good source of that or possibly carry it in your store? We carry a similar um, garden tool. It It's more like the old-fashioned dandelion digger that has the uh, one long prong that goes down and... Uh, a sharpened but not super sharp edges, and it has like a V on the end. Uh, has about a three foot handle on it, and uh, you know dandelions, things like that. You just shove it in, cut it off two, three inches down, and uh, then just you know push down gently on the handle, and it literally pops it up. I'm not familiar with one that has multiple prongs that does that, but uh, um, it, that's one we we normally keep on the shelf as busy as it's been the past few days. I would call before you make a special trip over if that's what you're looking for. Um, sure. The, uh, oh, golly, I'm trying to think there. Uh, so there's a lot of models out there. This one was in particular was just real effective. And I, I went along, I didn't see it uh, yeah, I probably the only place you're going to find that is in an antique store somewhere. Uh, I yeah, right there, it's just there's so many things that aren't just aren't the quality that they used to be. A website that you could check is Kinsman K I N S M A N, the Kinsman Company. Uh, they get a lot of better quality tools out of Canada. A um, little expensive. They're located in New York, uh, and you'll you'll pay a little extra to get it shipped to you but uh kinsman is probably the company that whose website i would check if you don't find it locally great great advice um now i've got grapefruits to hang on my tree and they're big and they're starting to flush uh kind of getting a little pink and yep. that way for a while i'm just going to let them sit on the tree uh, uh they're because they're not real sweet they're they're good but yep. they're just 
and they may not get as weak as the lack of sun this year. And uh, <laughs> you know exactly what the situation is. And yeah, I, I, you know, you can leave them on there. Uh, driving around yesterday, I saw several grapefruit trees with a large amount of fruit on the ground and a fair amount still on the trees. So don't waste it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with little cane sugar on top of those things. And growing up, that's all we had were those old sour grapefruit and. Um, well, I prefer a little vodka on them myself. No <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I uh, have uh, had friends down in the valley in my college days, and we would uh, take her dad's uh, golf cart out on the course and gather up, uh, you know, wild citrus that nobody wanted. We took ice cube, ice trays, those plastic ice trays, squeezed sure. the grapefruit juice into those, froze them, and then you could twist those things, pop those little cubes out, and uh, put them in a Ziploc bag, and you had a freezer full of those and it was really easy to make uh, what we call the mcallen salty dog and uh um, anyway that's a whole nother story <laughs> tequila rather than vodka but you can you can save that juice so try not to let that fruit go to waste yeah no i don't i give a lot away and i, I never waste any of it i've got blood oranges this year actually i had over 100 blooms and it's been in the ground 10 years and what a blood orange tree and and the bees are all over it so i'm, I'm hoping this year i might uh, get those. My neighbor has some up the road, and they they always get them. They after they get established, they seem to handle. Unless it's extreme cold, they seem yeah. to handle it. But that's another story. But oh, I, and that's and I, that's I, a great juice know. as well. Yeah. Oh God, they're the best. I yeah. love that blood orange. Uh, last thing, I, my wisteria is in full bloom, and I've noticed that um, I'm calling them bumblebees, but I'm sure they're either wood bees or mason bees. Uh, and I don't see many honeybees go to them. But I'm just curious. Have you noticed that it, it's the bigger bee that want the bumbly type bees that go to them i think the deal is that you're just not very many honeybees out there right now um i think that you know the bees are are opportunistic and uh i saw the first big collection of honeybees that i've seen this spring a night before last and that's when they swarmed one of my hunting hummingbird feeders but i I think the wisteria is just one of those plants and and it's actually a little later than wisteria often blooms I've, i've had lots of wisteria blooms in february before and it's just the mason bees are always out there much earlier than the european honeybees are and that's my take on it. I could be totally wrong, but I think it's just that you don't have a lot of uh, European honeybees out there yet. I think were they out, that your wisteria would be visited by them just like it is uh, with your solitary bees. I think that's a good point. And there's plenty of bumblebees uh, or wherever they are. I think they're uh, rock bees or whatever you want to call them. But well, all righty. That answers my question. Thank you, sir. You're a wealth of information. We love you out here. Well, I sure appreciate it, Dan. You have a wonderful Sunday. I'm sure we'll talk again. And enjoy that wisteria. Like I told the caller earlier, those uh, it's probably Texas wisteria rather than Chinese because it does bloom consistently. Uh, yeah. This late summer, fall, get some cutting started. Share with your neighbors and friends because that's a plant we just need to have more of around. It's so beautiful, and everything you're seeing in the nursery these days is usually from up north, and it simply won't bloom here. So those folks that have yeah, a good heard, one. Yeah. I heard you say that, and I'm going to do that. And, you know, I have a wisteria. I don't know where I got it. I think it was from somebody's grandmother stuck inside of my house, and it's a white-blooming wisteria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and uh, I can only handle one wisteria, and this one's been going living for a while. But, but all right, great information. Thank you, Bob. Well, it's my pleasure. I do thank you. And, um, 
Yeah, it was my grandmother had the beautiful wisteria. Grandparents had it out uh, actually on uh, above a, a subterranean uh, room. But it's uh, wisteria is just beautiful. Just don't be real careful. And whatever you do, don't buy wisteria mail order because I'm going to miss you one. You will get one that will bloom the first year and never again. And don't confuse the Texas wisteria or Chinese wisteria with this thing they call evergreen wisteria. It's a whole different plant. If I remember right, the genus is Meletia. Uh, it is a beautiful plant, very fragrant, very dark, dark purple flowers. Uh, it does beautifully in Houston with their richer, slightly more acidic soil. If you're going to try the evergreen wisteria here, be sure you really fortify that soil. Plenty of compost, probably some magic sand or green sand in with it. You can grow it. It's just going to be a little bit more work. But the so-called evergreen wisteria is not really wisteria, but it, it's still a beautiful plant. Let's finish up phone calls with Vernon. Good morning, Vernon. Good morning. Morning, sir. I'm trying to find out. I've got some, uh, I just bought some roses, five roses. Okay. And I want to plant them. What's the, what's the ABCs, the one, two, threes? Oh, okay. Uh, let me ask you, first of all, um, where you got these roses? Were they in pots? Were they in little, uh, you know, just one gallon pots? One gallon pots. The, the plant's probably two foot tall, a bunch of blooms and some uh, uh, buds on them. Okay. I know they're going away, but... Yeah, well, I, let me, I'll tell you about planting, and then I want to give you a little bit of a precaution so uh, you'll be aware of some things that may happen. Uh, the things okay. that roses need, they need absolutely full sun. If there's any, roses will not be nearly as happy as if they get sun from the time it comes up in the morning to the time it goes down. Second thing about roses, they do not ever want to become bone dry, especially when you're just setting them out. Uh, you don't want to keep the soil so soggy wet that you've driven all the oxygen out of it. But if you're going to make a mistake with the rose, I'd rather see it a little too moist than to have it get too dry. Because if it ever dries completely one time, you can sometimes lose them. And that is especially true of the knockout roses. So many people are planting knockouts. They are beautiful. They are some of the showiest roses out there. But in my garden, I found the roses had to be, the knockout roses had to be watered three times as often as the others. So, uh, um, you know, be, be aware of that depending on what you buy. Uh, if yours are grafted roses, go ahead and plant them with the graft point well up out of the ground. You don't want to bury the woody stem on a rose, um, you know, any more than you do any other tree or shrub. Uh, finally, roses are can be very susceptible to diseases like black spot fungus. Uh, they can also get some insect issues. The so-called thrips insect is one that does the most damage to the roses. To control the fungus issues, don't go out and buy one of these products that you can become blind from using if you get it in your eyes. Just cornmeal soaked in water is probably the only fungicide you'll ever need. If you want to stop the thrips, the aphids, and most everything else, uh, get a little bit of liquid garlic. You spray your roses periodically with, with that. And you just won't have any bug issues. Uh, roses do like to be mulched. Uh, they do like to be fed regularly. It does not have to say rose food. Any good organic fertilizer will work. I have to go. 
has to grow just fine. Uh, okay. Put a little Epsom salts around them a couple of times a year because the roses really seem to benefit from the magnesium in Epsom salts. Just get it at the grocery store, the drugstore. You know, it's pretty much Epsom salts or Epsom salts. There's no such thing as uh, good or bad Epsom salts, but your roses will really benefit from them. Now, here's the one thing about roses, and, and the reason you need to be careful where you buy them, is if you're getting grafted roses... The same rose variety can be grafted onto a bunch of different rootstocks. I have nothing against Tyler, Texas. I was born there a few years ago. But the rootstock that they use in Tyler and Lindale and East Texas, that rootstock does not do well in San Antonio. The rootstocks that they use in California, Armstrong, Jackson Perkins, Weeks, those rose growers use a rootstock that does very well in San Antonio. So just the fact that you got double the lights, you got... Uh, uh, you know, Chrysler Imperial, you got uh, Mr. Lincoln. There are lots and lots of beautiful grafted yeah. roses, but always try to buy your grafted roses that are on California rootstock, not on East Texas rootstock, because the name's going to be the same on the rose, but whether or not that rose performs well for you will depend on what rootstock is grafted on. Okay. Um, That's sort of Rose 101. <laughs> Hope that answered whatever questions you have. I got a couple quick go backs on now. Okay, okay. don't bury them. Thrip uh, insect is what was I doing for them? Uh, the uh, liquid garlic, just okay, just so a garlic spray on the foliage uh, that will take care of those thrips insects that get inside the bud, and it also take care of aphids. And the cornmeal is for uh, that's for fungus. your for your black spot fungus and powdery mildew. Uh, mulch has to go Epsom salt. Uh, mulch. Do I want to use a cedar mulch? Any kind of good mulch you, you find is fine. Earlier. Yeah, cedar mulch is cedar mulch is great on your roses. And they have to have full sun. I got oak trees, and I got opening between the oak trees, so I could get morning. I got sun right now. What is it? Eleven thirty ish. Now ain't that late. The more anyway. sun you, the more sun you get, the more ro- flowers you will have, and the fewer diseases. But anything less than full sun, you're going to struggle with a little bit. So. Maybe if you love your roses, prune those trees a little bit to get even more sun to them. Ooh, these oak, these oak trees are older than I am. I better leave them alone. <laughs> well, maybe you better move. <laughs> no, Vernon, uh, just maybe even you can grow them in pots if you have a sunnier place. Uh, but uh, you've got to have lots and lots of sun to do well with roses. I'll just I'll plant them all back. I want to put them in the front of the house, but there's too much shade here. Yep. I've got them set out there by by my Myers lemon tree. They've got bees on them already, which. Like you said, very many bees around, so that Mars lemon, y'all fragrant they are. It's oh, got yeah. It'll bring them in. Three or four bees on there. Yeah. Well, listen, I appreciate the call. I'm out of time here. Phone lines are open for Dr. Kirby's show now. Uh, remember, Orchid Show goes on till mid-afternoon today, free of charge down at the Garden Center, and certainly worth going to. Uh, visit the sales area, see my friend Liz O'Toole and several others down there. The show's beautiful. I was here Friday afternoon, and I think you will really enjoy it. And like I say, it's free of charge. My free seminar next Saturday morning, Building Soils, all the way you take uh, how you go about taking our not so good quality soils and making things grow a whole lot better.